On this episode of Water Flying, I'm joined by David Quam, the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, here we are on location in Brainerd, Minnesota at the Minnesota Seaplane Pilots Association Annual Safety Seminar. I am missing my co-host, Miss Abby Kellett, because we're on the road, but I am joined by our very special guest, Mr. David Quam, the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association. Well, I don't know about the Mr. part. <laughs> Let's... Uh... The biggest question or the most questions I get asked is why did you start the Seaplane Association? It was due to the lack of information on water flying. And where'd you get it? Let me go backwards. I worked in broadcasting in New York City and we had a production house that was overloaded with work, so we started an evening shift. Therefore I went on nights working six hours, seven to one, which allowed me all day to do whatever. And I would go over to Teterboro Airport, where I earned my private, my commercial, my helicopter ratings, ground school, uh, instructor, flight instructor, multi-engine, multi-engine uh, uh, rating. I never even thought about seaplanes. Coming from Minnesota, I'm ashamed of myself. Well, let's uh, kind of set the stage here. So what kind of time frame were I know, but uh, Seaplane Pilots Association is going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. So we're talking 1972 is when you actually founded the association, but you had done all this other work prior to 1972. Well, uh, having the chance to go to Teterboro, I was heading there one day, and there's a sign by the road that says, watch for low-flying airplanes. I said, my gosh, Teterboro's three miles away. What low-flying? All of a sudden, the pontoon went by my window. It was a float plane went right, right over the top of me. I said, whoa, i got to check this out. So I drove over there, and I ended up at Little Ferry Seaplane Base and met uh, Bruce Dunham. And I knew that I wanted to get a rating. Uh, they had two champs, 90 horse, hand prop, and a pacer. Weekends were very busy, but I had the daytime off, so I went and got my rating. I could use the airplane to fly a little bit. I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Forget the helicopter, forget the wheels on it. I just wanted to fly on the water. And that led me to buying a used airplane, a Cessna 172 from Pat McGee up in Ely, Minnesota. And they delivered it for me. Down to New Jersey. Down to Little Ferry. So I started flying around, but I didn't know where to go. I looked at the aviation charts where to find fuel, and I discovered the hard way. Most of those markings were no good. So I asked Bruce, I said, what is this? Why are they, these places closed? He said, they close, and they don't tell the map, map makers. Call Jay Fry of Edo to get some information about going someplace. So I called Jay. I want to go up to New Hampshire. Oh, there's a place called Goodspeed on the Connecticut River, and there's a Mr. O'Connor 
a machine shop. He keeps uh, gas for the guys. Uh, I said, Jay, why don't you publish this information? His answer was, we don't want the liability. And I started thinking about it, and I said, how can we get a bunch of guys together and form an association to print this, inf- this, this, this information? There were two gentlemen at the seaplane base, uh, Al Lish, Bill Hooper. Al was a printer. Uh, Bill Hooper was an accountant with Bendix Corporation. And I said, guys, I want to start an association. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to need some help. And they loved the idea of it. Well, then I put a notice in Flying Magazine, and the editor of Flying, I said, we're going to have a meeting about starting an association. So the editor of Flying came to Little Ferry. He brought a guest with him by the name of Robert Murray. And that was the, one of the best things that could have happened to us. Bob was an abstract uh, sculpture artist and watercolor artist and, and uh, very successful at it. So he came out because he, he owned the Canuck on floats and had this little island up in Canada. And he said, in any way I can help out? I said, he said Dave, who's going to write your material for you? I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at it. He says, I'd like to do it. I said, Bob, there's no money in it. Nobody gets paid. And Bob came on board, and that was the best thing that happened to us. He had foresight to how to get this thing up and running. And so, therefore, I said, he's, he started the newsletters. Alice did the printing, and Bill kept track of the dollars and the membership. Uh, Bruce Dunham's wife, Barbara, did all the card filing for us and kept track of the membership as they rolled in. It was working quite well, and all of a sudden, the West Coast and uh, group in the state of Washington said, hey, we saw your newsletter. This must be a big, well-organized unit. Uh-huh. And so they wanted to join us. Well, something in the broadcast business told me, always make it look bigger than it really is. <laughs> and all we had was a card table in a corner and a file cabinet to get going with. We finally got our own trailer so we could keep track of things. Uh, and the information rolled in. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that most people associate seaplanes with bush flying and remote locations and everything else, which is a lot of what we talk about, talking about the association and and our way of life. But you literally started the association in in a major metropolis. Well, that was the only seaplane base around New York City. And that's where I lived. I wasn't going to go upstate to, to get a rating. Yeah. Uh, now things went very well. We started to grow, and at about five years down the road, I started getting chest pains. Because remember, I'm working in the broadcast center from seven p.m. sometimes three o'clock in the morning. And I told the doctor what I was doing. He said, "Whoa, you got to slow down." I said, "Okay, we'll do something." Uh, it wasn't sh- wasn't long after we started that Bob Murray came up with the idea of a water flying annual. Because there was getting, there was a lot of members sending in stories about what they were doing, and they were really interesting stories. The mm-hmm. newsletter was for news, so Bob came out with the water flying annual, and that was fantastic. It was in color, um, and that's uh, essentially what we rolled into the water landing directory. Oh, but yeah, but, well, yeah, well, we put the seaplane base directory in there to start off with, but now, huge, major <laughs> change in the publication. I'm so damn proud of Mark and the crew who put that together. Uh, I get this thing called ARP, A-A-R-P, and their newsletter is terrible. I sent them a seaplane magazine. I said, we got 6,000 members. You have 250,000 members. What's your excuse? Our magazine looks 10 times better than yours. (laughs) 
Did I? Did they get back to me? No. Wow, there you have it. So this is fascinating because, of course, New Jersey's a battleground state for us. Uh, we, the association literally was founded in New Jersey, and yet to this day we have a lot of advocacy struggles trying to open water in New Jersey, and it's one of our major areas of focus. So I find it fascinating that it was born out of necessity because there was nothing, lack of information, lack of information. And 50, almost 50 years later, we're still attacking some of the very same issues that you were attacking back then. But you really laid the groundwork. I mean, for everything that myself and, and my predecessors uh, that have run the association have done. And, and that Included a lot of early work with the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Well, we had, there, there were a number. Of, well, first of all, there was an SPA before me. It lasted two years, and the guy's name was Ed DeChant. He he just couldn't keep up with the work. I said, "Oh dear, what have, what have I done?" Well, if it wasn't for the other people, uh, uh, Bob Murray, Bill uh, Bill, and Al Lish. By the way, Al Lish passed on early in life. I did not know until recently. In his will, he said, I want the SPA logo on my tombstone. <laughs> oh, my God, that tore me up. Now, when we started out, we had a round patch, because that's my way of doing things, I guess, and a picture of an airplane in the middle. And uh, Robert Murray came up with an idea for a new logo. I said, Bob, you do what you want to do. You're doing the publications, and the only way we can pay you is to say, whatever you want to do, go ahead. So he and a friend designed this logo you have today, for a sign, a road sign, to signify there's a seaplane base here. And then it occurred to us, why isn't that the logo? And it was boring. And that logo has been used universally without our name attached and signs all over the world uh, to designate seaplane bases, which I know was the origin, was to make it sign-like in in the design. And if you go to Lake Como, Italy, you see a a likeness to our logo. And uh, we were just at uh, Greenville uh, at the International Seaplane Fly-In there uh, last weekend. And uh, as you go into town, uh, there's our logo as well. Well, it's all over the place. Uh, Let me just jump in here a little bit about something. Uh, The Greenville Fly-In started because of a fellow by the name of Chip Taylor and and a person called Dwayne Lander from Greenville. They got a hold of me and said, what can we do to get this fly-in going to have an international fly-in? So we worked together on it, and uh, in two years, it'll be 50 years. But one of the founders of getting that going, Dwayne Lander, passed away uh, six months ago, and that was a, uh, a big uh, a loss for me and, and a good friend. Uh, Chip Taylor came up with the idea, and Dwayne, who ran a ski resort, uh, set it up so we'd have a banquet at the ski resort and have a lot of fun. No guest speakers, just fun, fun, fun. Well, all fun comes to an end. We needed some help. And that's when I started to talk to John Baker of AOPA. Not the present Baker, but going back a ways. And I said, how do you feel about managing the SPA for us? Because I'm, I'm running, I'm having chest pains. I've got I to gotta slow down, but I want to keep going. So AOPA took over management for about five, six years, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they did a terrific job. They got us up on our feet. The publication went in. It got to be bigger and better. And after five or six years, they said, okay, you're on your own. Now, that that movement of AOPA was very important. <laughs> Excuse me. 
Um, and then it moved down to Florida. In the meantime, we had a, a number of uh, legal flights to go to open up waters. There's many stories we could go into, but that's not the purpose of this interview, is why we got it going and how, and some of the ups and downs. Uh, I look at it now, and I am so proud of what everybody has done over the last 20 years to uh, give all of us who fly seaplanes a home and an association. I think like Mark Wasi, Mark Wasi of the... Uh, of Oshkosh, Rassi yeah, uh, said, he said, well, look at it this way. It's seaplane pilot helping seaplane pilot. I think he he, he, he nailed it. That's what yeah. the SPA That's is. That's what we are, and I, I say that to the members all the time, that I work for you guys. You know, I'm an owner-operator myself, and I've made this my life in, in so many ways. But the entire association, the reason we're here is to help the community, and it's really important for people to realize that the entire team, and, and it's not just the paid staff, but all the volunteers we have, all the field directors around the country, the board of directors. Oh, let me tell you about that. Somebody asked me about field directors. Yes. I'm an amateur radio person. I get this amateur radio magazine, and I noticed in there they had field directors for different regions in different states. And I, instant I saw that, I knew that's what we had to do. We have to set up a field director so and that's can, the origin of the field director. That's where it started that because had. of the amateur radio magazine doing the yeah. same thing. We copied him basically, yeah. and it and, worked well. And so, but with the staff, with those field directors, with all these volunteers, and we always need more. So again, I would encourage the listeners to uh, let us know if you have time and desire to to volunteer and help the community. But we're all working for the members, and that's what we're here, and that's what we get our enjoyment and our fulfillment out of. So uh, we're here for the community, and that's what you established, again, 49 years ago. And it, it's very humbling to know that, you know, we are continuing your work. Well, it's very gratifying to see that even though there were times our newsletter was only four pages long, and then, of course, back up now, the the, the publications are mouthwatering. Uh <laughs> I, it's so nice to have so many people uh, getting involved into the SBI. I look at the magazine and see how many field directors are out there now, and it's incredible. Some of them have been around since, well, when I was a little fairy, Vince Pepitone's yeah. his son, his, the, the young, young Pepitone, his father was flying at Teterboro when we were there. When I saw his name in the field directory, I said, Fantastic. Yeah, um, I'm glad he took the time to do it. And now, you know, of course, we, we joke because we have to pay Mark Rassi every time we mention his name on the podcast. <laughs> but we're going to mention it again because, as many people have heard many times over, he has uh, taken over our field director program, and, and he's yep. the, the coordinator on that. And he's uh, signing up quite a few new field directors. As a matter of fact, I've got to meet with our new head uh, team member here in Minnesota while we're here this weekend. Well, we, we have one, the name of Mark Cook, who is a commercial pilot, flies a private jet plane. He became a regional director for the association. They couldn't have picked a better guy. Yeah, and Fantastic. I'm looking forward to meeting him. So uh, I got a text from Mark Rass. He's saying, uh, Mark wants to sit down and spend some time yep. with you. So uh, that'll be one of the meetings we have while we're here this weekend. He's giving flight instructions. This year alone, he went through his, he's given out uh, 16 uh, seaplane ratings. That's he amazing. didn't do the rating. He did the training part. Somebody else did the yeah, license part. Yeah, the actual part. check ride, the DPE. Yeah. So that little grass airstrip that we have with a lake by it now has five seaplanes sitting on it where they didn't have before. So things are happening in the Bemidji, Minnesota area where I live. 
up in Bemidji, Minnesota. So uh, it's beautiful up here, and we have a great regional association. Uh, Minnesota has such an amazing uh, seaplane history and uh, uh, community here between Whip Air, the largest uh, float manufacturer in the world, is based right here in South St. Paul. Uh, you've got Surfside Seaplane Base, very historic seaplane base, and then Bemidji, which had a, a role in firefighting with seaplanes. Uh, big history there as well. Oh, my goodness. Uh, th- because of the forest fires, they have this CL2 four f- 415 water bomber. I think it picks up, I think it's, oh, goodness gracious, 4,000 gallons, 8,000? I can't remember now. Yeah. Well, this is, we call it a seaplane, but but the bottom line in the whole story tonight Yes, Seaplane Pilots Association is alive and well, and I just cannot believe how many great things are happening based on looking at what what we did in the past and struggled to get stay on our two feet. Now when I look at the publications and what's happening. Uh, well, let's talk about how? some of the historical things that we do or we're kind of known for. We just got off of AirVenture uh, about six weeks ago, and at AirVenture we have the Corn Roast, which is... One of the most anticipated events every year at AirVenture, and we get to host it, thankfully, and invite 750 people to join us for an evening of uh, food and entertainment. And uh, Well, let me me tell you how it started. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Nobody knows. I can't propose the guy's name out. He was the tower chief at Oshkosh when the tower was on the east side. And he said, let's have a corn roast. So somewhere they got a green parachute for our cover, and I drove my pickup truck over there and stood in the tailgate and did the parking, and they had corn and so forth, uh, whatever else. Now, on the second year we did this, the, oh gosh, the, the flying, the people that fly the jets, what do you call it, the Blue Angels or something? Okay. They come over to have some corn. <laughs> and then during the air show, they deviated from the runway and came right over the top where the corn roast was, and the parachute was flopping in the wind. Oh, did we get excited. So <laughs> from awesome. that year on, the corn roast has been at Oshkosh. Yeah, and it's just grown tremendously, literally from starting on a tailgate with a parachute to uh, 80 by 100 tent that we have now. And again, we, ho- uh, we get the great honor of hosting 750 people every year there. Uh, we didn't get to do it this year because of the COVID uh, protocols. Uh, and obviously, we missed it last year with no air venture. But we're looking forward to next year, again, 2022, where it'll be our 50th anniversary. So it'll be bigger than better than ever. If you haven't mm. been to the Corn Roast, I would urge you to get your tickets as early as possible because it sells out every year. And we do have a finite amount of seating that we once once those tickets are sold and it sells out every year uh we have to have a a hard stop on any more admission i think it's the second biggest gathering of pilots on the whole oshkosh air show yeah, i know Is that right it's it's amazing i know that we get a lot of celebrities we've got a lot of very prominent people usually we have the faa administrator there in many cases we've had bert rutan as a do a yeah, talk yeah. there and uh, just the, um, the the people that come to enjoy it has been amazing. And it's again, stunning to see all the people under one tent. They're all interested in seaplane flying. Then I say, well, wait a minute now. Maybe they're interested in brats and corn and beer right now. <laughs> seaplane will come later. I think they enjoy talking to other pilots that share their passion, and it's like our giant family that we get together and 
uh, get to congregate, and uh, it's it is amazing. We have live music usually. We have raffles. We have fundraising auctions, which are a very important part of the mission is to raise that money through those auctions, and uh, it's it's always an entertaining. Well, evening. I came there and I said, this, "What a great conclusion of somebody who turned eighty a couple of years ago." Uh, a young lady came up and handed me a chocolate cake on the stage for my birthday, and I darn near lost it because it slid off the cardboard tray, and I caught it, but I had a handful of goo. So I asked the guy running the beer truck, what is the least used beer here? He says, why, I want to wash my hands in it. And then you came up, talked to the boys in the band, and it was a happy birthday. Some kid videotaped it and sent it to me. There you go. That was stunning. That was two years ago. We actually got to spend your birthday yeah. with you at the Corn Rose, yeah. which was a very special I mean, that's moment. that was so unusual. And, you know, as you listen to this, this pod here, you don't have to be a seaplane pilot to get the publication and be a member. But you might end up being a seaplane pilot if you do, because it's a whole new world. Join, get the publication, and be a part of a very unusual group of pilots. It's pretty uh, contagious as an activity, and uh, we try to be very welcoming. We want to in- invite you to our community, and as we've said many times, there's a lot of benefits to it through your stick and rudder skills, uh, learning uh, a whole new uh, way of flying and, and opening doors of adventure and new destinations like here at, at Madden's Resort that we're sitting at in Brainerd, Minnesota, where you can fly your seaplane right up to your back door of, of your of your uh, hotel room or your cottage on the lakeside here. Well, I've, one of the things that's making the SPA so good these days is the membership renewal. People are renewing the membership. They understand we'll never be a ten twenty five thousand dollar organization. We're small compared to other groups, but. Look what we have done. I shouldn't say we because I'm not doing the work anymore, but look what's being done up to today because of the membership supporting the association. It's it's mind-boggling to see what's happened. When I look at the trailer at Little Ferry and I look at what's out there today and what's happening, huge difference. And I'm so proud that everybody, that all the people that were involved, especially those that gave up their time and their own money, like Bob Murray, Alish and Bill Hooper, they gave money out of their own pocket to make make this work. Yeah, yeah, and it and again, it's uh, it's a big uh, mission for us to do. I mean, we have more invasive species issues than oh, ever gosh. before. The safety issues uh, that we're seeing, uh, which is why we're here again this weekend for a safety seminar. And again, thanks to the sponsors and and the Minnesota Seaplane Pilots Association for putting that on. Uh, but we have insurance issues, and we have a declining seaplane pilot population, and it's really important that through programs like our scholarship program with our foundation that we do everything we can to stop the decline. We have lost 20, uh, 30% of the seaplane pilot population in the last 20 years. That's something we have to reverse. Well... The one that, when I, when I sold my airplane, I, I put a sign on it at Oshkosh. It was gone in 10 minutes. Turned out to be my neighbor bought, it, bought the airplane, which I wish that was a huge mistake on my part. But when I look at how many people are flying out there, it's the cost of the airplane. I want to get back into an airplane now, but I, because of my age, 82, and having vertical now and then, I have to fly with somebody. But I can't 
I look at the dollar signs. What I paid for a brand new 172, and today, and whatever else is out there, it's the dollars. The cost of the airplane is not pleasing to me. No, it it is expensive. And uh, as we know, it's very difficult to rent a seaplane, which is something we're working on. Uh, but there are opportunities. I still, you know, when I would travel around the country, I would go fly with an instructor everywhere I went in the country. I could find a, a seaplane operation, a school or a commercial operator, and go do some time and fly in a different geographic area, fly a different kind of aircraft. And I tell this story quite often. But I found that that was a way to get me exposed to the point uh, when I couldn't when I couldn't afford to be an owner operator, and then the very first airplane I bought was still pretty affordable, um, and wasn't that long ago when I bought a Cessna 140. It it was kind of a unique find, but I bought a Cessna 140 for twenty five thousand dollars on floats, and uh, it made a great airplane to build time on and move up to the way till I found my spectacular bargain <laughs> that I did on my Super Cub. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's a nice airplane. Uh, I don't know where to go from here, except I sit back and I get, get the publication. I look at the website. I, I look at the Facebook site. I haven't been to the pod, and I don't know why. The podcast. Well, okay. we have to get you on there. Well, I, just, I haven't got a good reason. I'm <laughs> forgetting or something. Well, we've been but trying I, to sit down for a long time. Uh, it's been an amazing uh, 10 years of getting to know you better than I knew you before. And uh, I told you we needed to sit down, even if it's in the middle of the night, like now, after everyone's been <laughs> traveling, uh, to do a podcast and let our members and the community hear from you, the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association. If Robert Murray, Al Lish, and Bill Hooper hadn't have worked with me to get this going, it wouldn't have happened. If I didn't take the night shift so I had the daytime available to work on the association, it wouldn't have happened. I, well, it, it wouldn't have happened for me anyway. I, I, it was a coincidence these things took place, but those other people were very important to keep make the association happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're very thankful for all the work that you've done for many, many years. You've been a great advisor. You've helped me in this position endlessly. You know, you and I talk at least once a week, uh, and I'm bouncing things off of you, and, and you've been not only an inspiration, but... An incredible resource for me to tap into. Well, thank you very much. Boy, that's a lot of sugar. And a good friend. And a good, and well, and yeah, a very good obviously friend. a good friend. Well, it's nice to be able to give you my straight opinion on something, even though I might be un- uncomfortable making a suggestion. Look at this idea, Steve, and you listen. And that's all I care about. If you want to change something or disagree with you, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that you listen to the, my suggestions and but I I have to remember this. There's been so many huge changes in the SBA since 1972. It's hard for me to grasp. <laughs> I mean, who do I thank them? I besides the four people and everybody who's been working on the association. It comes down to thanking the members for their for joining and renewing their membership. Because if that doesn't happen, everything else is moot. Yeah. And, and it's a huge challenge. Even with the membership dollars that we get, as you know, uh, it's hard to do all of the things we do. And that's why, again, the donor component and the foundation component is so important. It, it is important that if you are a pilot or if you race cars or whatever you do, if you have a nonprofit organization that 
helps advocate for that community, you need to join those organizations, whether it be AOPA or SPA or EAA or the Alaska Airmen's Association. You need to support those nonprofits because they have a very important job to ensure that you get to do it as a commercial seaplane pilot. If you're flying passengers, you need us to keep that water open and keep those insurance rates down so you can have that job as a commercial seaplane pilot. And that is a, that's a really tough job. I don't know how when, – when we worked with the Corps of Engineers to to lift restrictions on certain Corps projects, that was three years of work. But we did it. Yeah. And the Corps said, okay, we understand what you're talking about. And, yes, there should be a change here. So we, we worked together on these changes, and I was absolutely delighted to see that happen. Now, I'm sure in, in, in your time schedule there are issues that we're not going to be able to resolve. You can try, but there are going to be some we just can't do it. Or well, I shouldn't say we, but the you know, association. Yeah, we've been working Georgia for 10 years now, uh, trying to open up more access in Georgia. And, and as you know, Colorado, we have done mm-hmm. a major effort to open up Colorado, probably the historically most unfriendly seaplane state in the country. And I really wanted to attack that and open it up. And it has been to this day. I mean, it occupies a tremendous amount of time and energy and a lot of trips to Colorado. And I'm not going to rest until we get um, fair and equal access and get more seaplane uh, open water in Colorado. And again, that's that's been a 10-year fight at this point. Well, there's, there's, I've heard someplace, I don't know if it's a rumor or not, there's interest in doing something in New Jersey. Is that correct? We are. So we just, uh, we've got a great field director there, Larry Higgins, yep. uh, who got appointed recently uh, to the State Aviation Advisory uh, panel, and we made sure that we had a seat on that panel. And according to their state laws, now this has all been affected by COVID, uh, but they they must they must number one include us, and number two work forward on opening up new water and reviewing. That you water. say include us, include us into what the, the Seaplane Pilots Association in the process of opening new water and okay, Jersey. work with the association and. Yes. Yeah, that's it's a lot of boats out there. I used to fly fire patrol in New Jersey, New York, and I didn't want to go out on weekends because of the boat wakes. Yeah, uh, which is just too much traffic. But during the week, there's nobody around. And we're doing a lot of with U.S. Fish and Wildlife right now. We've got a multi-year study that we'll be working with the research group. Uh, we actually help craft the study and pick the research uh, the researchers that'll be doing the study. But we've got a multi-year invasive species study, and so oh, that's a big again, one. Again, we're going to have uh, a lot of extra work on our hands. We're going to have to bring in some some very specialized help as well to help work with the research, and uh, we're looking forward to it because that's what we do. How's our time, by the way? We're good. So, I think I know I would like to have you come back on the podcast because we have so many stories to talk about, uh, both with you and and your journeys through. Uh, your seaplane adventures and aviation adventures and how this all happened. You have a book that's available that we should be <laughs> providing to people as well. Well, a lot of, I have a lot of stories of working with movie stars, going to movie stars' houses, a lot of stories. And people say, why don't you write this stuff down? Is no, 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 I'm not a writer. That was 10 years ago. Showing so, up unannounced at weddings uh, by seaplane and taking brides for flights. I'd take the bride, but the groom <laughs> wouldn't, didn't want to go. 
But once he found out, I said, I'd be back in an hour and a half. He decided to get in the airplane. I, I kept it a short flight because this is his wedding night, for crying out loud. Don't get him sick for his wedding night. A lot of stories like that. I had Smokey Bear on the side of the airplane. And uh, I said, what happens if he falls off? If we're taxiing to this dock, he's going to drown. So I had to tie him with a rope to the airplane. And when the captain of the forest rangers found out what I was doing, he said, you, you, you did what? You know, ever since you came along, David, this, things are happening that are kind of exciting. I'm breaking up the boredom and, and some things are happening in state government. Oh, there's some stories there too, but not tonight. Well, I, I do want to point out one more thing before we sign off on this episode of the podcast, and that is one of the things that I always try to encourage our members to do and that's important for us as a community to do is to benefit the non-flying community. And very early on, you started using your seaplane to do fire patrols to detect uh, forest fires. That was a big plus for the community. Everybody recognized the fire fire seaplane. And that was a real plus for, for uh, positive, uh, what do you call it, positive what, returns from yeah, the public? Yeah, well, it, it showed seaplanes being used in a very positive light. Very positive the, way. The, Everybody loves Smokey Bear. Yep. And we're going to leave, though, some of the more scandalous stories of what you did, finding out who was setting those fires uh, for another podcast, because I think that's a, a fascinating story. That was a couple of those stories were kind of wild. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate right now. It takes too much time. We'll to do that for another podcast. So David Quam, my good friend, the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association, who is here very late at night in Bemidji, or Bemidji, <laughs> Brainerd, Minnesota, because I don't even know where I am at this time of night. Uh, it's been a long day of travel, but thank you for finally sitting down with me and, and getting to share who you are as the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association and some of our early uh, trials and tribulations mm. with the listeners. I'm very proud of what the membership has done to keep this thing going. Uh, As I am. It's to, to, to look back at this and see how it's growing, membership renewing uh, is very comforting to see because it keeps the association alive. And I can't think of anything better to start something from scratch and watch it grow and do great things. And that's what's happening now. I'm very proud of your work. I look at what you do, Steve, and you, you, you're probably the most energetic person we've ever had as a field director uh i've never seen this kind of enthusiasm before and it's catchy <laughs> you know it's it's which is which is great uh we've had a lot of a lot of directors that worked very hard none of them none of them had the energy that you have uh the hours you put in on it i don't understand how you do it but you do it i i love i love it and i'm humbled by it well and i'm uh, i'm very proud that you're there our executive director and keeping, as the saying goes, Steve, you're keeping my baby alive. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Dave Quam, it's been an honor. We hope you've enjoyed this very special uh, edition or episode of Water Flying with the founder of the Seaplane Pilots Association. Thanks for listening, and please give us your comments and suggestions. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show... I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine 
dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.